Hey everybody, this is Jeff Stevens and this is the Creative Stick Up. This is a weekly podcast devoted to creativity, innovation, and culture building in corporate America. And we have sat down with a big fish this week. I uh, was lucky enough to uh, work with Dave Gray on a project and uh, got him to do this. So if you don't know who Dave Gray, he, Gray is, he is the founder of X-Plane, a, uh, an amazing agency that's been in St. Louis for about 20 years and they are uh, now out in Portland. Um, but he's also a writer, speaker, and a consultant and is right in the uh, right at the epicenter of doing this culture building work for companies. So sit down and have a listen of me and Dave. This is this is Jeff Stevens. This is uh, another podcast in our Culture Eight Strategy. Um, we call this the Creative Stick Up, where we uh, interview fantastic creative leaders from all around the world on how they are doing what they do. Today, we are incredibly excited to have Dave Gray with us. Who uh, I've just read his bio prior to this, but you can tell he's an impressive guy. And I'm lucky enough to get to work with him on a current project, but I sat him down and made him tell me all his secrets. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Hello, Dave. Say hello. Hey, Jeff. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You just got back from Australia. I did. <laughs> so I appreciate you doing this because you're probably a little tired. Yeah, about half of me is down under. <laughs> yeah, as they say. And you were down there. Like, what were you doing down there? Uh, well, I was actually I was in, uh, there for about three weeks. I ran... Uh, six workshops and I gave four or five keynotes and so in three weeks that's a, quite a bit as yeah. you can imagine so I didn't get to do a lot of uh, sightseeing and surfing and yeah none, none of that shrimp on the barbie <laughs> I, did, I did get a couple of uh I got to go to two barbecues okay uh, which was great so, so they really do that there they really do uh I don't know if they had shrimp uh mm -hmm. but they had great barbecues and uh by the way it's winter it's August in St. Louis right. or it's just September it was August right and uh, that's a good time to get out of St. Louis, as I'm sure you know. And yeah. uh, it's actually winter there, but winter there is like beautiful. 72 and sunny. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So it was a perfect time to go. It was. That's awesome. Um, did you, so, I, I guess we're just going to kind of ramble, have this conversation about where you started and how you came to do what you're doing currently. But yeah. I think it's kind of interesting to maybe start with currently, and then we'll take a step back. Sure. Um, and so I, I I've known you. Recently, I saw you speak at Coco was my first introduction to you, but I, I knew your agency for years. Okay. X-Plane. Saw you do this thing at Coca. Just finished this book called The Connected Company. And I guess, yeah, tell us what exactly what you're doing now and what you're trying to accomplish now, and then maybe we'll figure out how you got there. Yeah, well, let's start. I mean, yeah. well, we, The Connected Company is a great place to start. Okay, um, perfect. I come from a design background, so I'm, uh, I have a, uh, let's say, designerly way of thinking about the world, which is a uh, from what I mean when I say that is um, looking at things and trying to determine what's possible to create out of them. Yeah. And I think that uh, most organizations today are run with a basically a decision attitude. And the decision attitude is, you, as, as a senior executive, it's your job to make decisions. And uh, people come to you with options, and you pick the best option, right. and you proceed. Now, uh, the problem with that is if the options that if you're choosing among a pool of relatively bad options, even the best, even when you pick the best options, you're not actually picking, picking the best option because it's just the best option of the ones that have been presented to you. Right. 
Now, what's happening a lot in, in business today is that companies are trying to take on more of what I would call a design attitude. Okay. So it doesn't mean that you stop making decisions, but it means that instead of just accepting the pool of options that are presented to you as an executive, that you actually are, if you have a design attitude, you're looking to expand that pool of options and really expand them into a much broader set of possibilities and trying to uh, uh, basically increase the quality mm-hmm. of those that pool of options that you're deciding from and then picking not necessarily only one, but right. two or three that might you might want to pilot, prototype, test out, okay. and figure out which is the best way because sometimes you don't actually know until you try something right. how well it's going to work. Right. So a design attitude is a little more exploratory. Uh, it's a little more um, creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was detailing in my book, The Connected Company, was a very there, there's a very interesting phenomenon that mm-hmm. has happened relatively recently. So for a hundred years or so, we've been designing organizations around efficiency and yeah. you know div- divisions and yep. um, you know management and uh, you know division of labor and all this stuff. And there's a whole new breed of company that's emerged just in the last 20 years or so. Companies like Google, like Amazon, like Facebook, they are operating in a completely different way. And to most traditional, from the perspective of most traditional management disciplines and mm-hmm. organizational uh, uh, leadership mm-hmm. positions, it looks like they're moving at light speed. It looks like they're moving in a kind of chaotic way. It's hard to understand how are they achieving these results. How does, how does a company like Google make $10 billion a quarter on 50-cent ads? Right. I mean, how does that even happen? How does a company like Facebook... Uh, or Instagram, which just started as like photos on an iPhone, yeah. on a phone. How does that suddenly become a billion-dollar acquisition? What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, and the, so the world is, because of the Internet, social media, social networks, um, the ability for customers to um, provide, share information with each other, it's always been true that word of mouth is the most effective form of marketing mm-hmm. for an organization. But now word of mouth is basically broadcast. So when someone used to be able to tell five friends about a bad experience or a good experience, now they can tell 5,000 friends with a click of a button and instantly. um, I was just, had a bad experience with Qantas when I was in Australia and it was on, I mean, I was on hold for literally an hour and 20 minutes looking at my phone going, I've been on hold for an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. So I tweeted, I started tweeting it, you know, Mm -hmm. and the fact that the company took in the three hours that it took for them to actually respond to my Twitter mm-hmm. uh, uh, thing. Right. And I have, I mean, 20,000 people following me on Twitter. Right. So I was telling 20,000 people mm-hmm. uh, in the three hours that uh, it took for them to actually be in contact with me, uh, the thing had spiraled out of control, was retweeted, you know, shame on you, Qantas, all this stuff yeah. out on the Twitter sphere. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, what a traditional decision mindset is, oh, oh, crap. This is happening. Let's clamp down, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so call the PR. Well, for, yeah. For example, right. there's a company, uh, a bank that I uh, spoke with recently. They have their call center is being overwhelmed. The wait times are going up. There's the hold, hold. People are on hold for longer and longer. Um, and the way that they're dealing with this is they're taking the ability for the phone number off the website so no one can call in. <laughs> what do they think? You know, really, what do you think is going to happen? Right. Um, what's going to happen is all that stuff is going to spill over onto yeah. the internet. It's yeah. going to go on Yelp. Yeah. It's going to go on all these review sites. Right. Uh, you can't hide you bad can't experiences hide. anymore. Yeah. And so the 
Uh, what's happening is there's you got the traditional companies been around forever, mm-hmm. tons of resources, tons of that money to, to spend. Yep. They know that something needs to change. Looking over at these Amazons and Googles, thinking how. What can we do in this world? How do we remain relevant? What do we need to do to shift our company from toward that new model? Yeah. It's almost like you had a farm and you got a, a horse and a plow and you're looking at Henry Ford pumping out Model Ts right. thinking, what am, how do I can enter this world? Yeah. yeah. And it's a, such a foreign world. The, it's a revolutionary way of organizing, right? It yeah. It's so it's, foreign to what most companies are designed around. It's dramatically different, yeah. and most of the companies that are highly successful at it were yeah. born yeah. digital. Right. They were born that way. That's right. So they didn't have to. And the digital model of how things get created in the digital world is a very rapid response model. It's just mm-hmm. inherent in the thing that you're making. Yep. And so to try to put that. Google's yeah. started in 2001. I know. Amazing. Right. They just were, that was always the way they What's were. it on the top of the Fortune 500 or yeah. close to it? Yeah. Um, you have uh, Amazon started in 1993. That's old for a, yeah. for, a for an internet uh, company. Right. So they, I think that, so what I've been focusing on for the past uh, five years or so, five to ten years, is number one, understanding what is different about these new organizations. I wrote that, mm-hmm. that was what I wrote in a book uh, called The Connected Company. Okay. And that's like, what does this look like? What is the operating model? If the old way is um, interchangeable parts, division of labor, multi-divisional organization, management by objective, terms that you know uh, executives are probably familiar with, what are the terms of the new way? What are the words? Yeah. What's the language? What's the organizational structure? Is that what like? you kind of went out searching for that within this book? I did. What, what I did was uh, I, I interviewed a lot of people, but I also did some reverse engineering going back and looking at old videos of Jeff Bezos talking. He used to be a lot more open and transparent about what Amazon was doing. Today yeah. he's a little more reserved. Yeah. But you can reverse engineer a lot of it, which yeah. is what I was doing and com- making comparisons. Uh, so I, I do feel like I have come to a pretty good understanding of what these, how these new organizations are structured, what's different about them. Um, and that's all in that book. But, but what I'm doing now that I think is even more interesting than that is um, it's one thing to describe mm-hmm. this new animal, mm-hmm. Amazon, Google. Mm-hmm. What's it look like? How does it work? Yeah. Um, it's another thing to take a company that's been around for 50 to 100, years. maybe even longer, yeah. years, maybe even longer, and say, how do we transform ourselves? Where do we start? Uh, what do we need to do? Let's say we want to move in that direction. Uh, we can't just suddenly, it's not like we can just go um, just, buy a new headquarters, yeah. put beanbag chairs in the office and a foosball table and whiteboards and throw everybody in there and, and expect there. something to happen. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Right. So how do we take this old school organization mm-hmm. um, that's been successful but is needs to move to this new world, mm-hmm. how do we make that shift? Yeah. And, and just, just to kind of back up and say this, from a fundamental organizational perspective, these companies don't have a hierarchical, as strict hierarchical organization as old companies do. They are organized more around teams or pods. Is that the inherent design thing? Or yeah, is it a lot there's, more than that? There, there's a lot more, but yeah. I mean, generally speaking, what's going on is that um, there's a transfer of uh, uh, power yeah. from a management okay. to the people at the front lines of the organization. Okay. So what's uh, the 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 
because there's so much change happening and because it's happening so rapidly, um, you can, decisions, you know, in the old school, um, when you have an exception, it goes up the chain of command, right? right. And the greater the exception, the higher it needs to go right. to get a decision. Right. In the new way, um, there's so much change happening that everything's an exception. If every exception went up the chain, the, the management team gets completely overwhelmed, like that call center I was talking yeah, about, yeah. completely overwhelmed yeah. because everything's an exception. Anything yeah. that can be answered, customers can answer on Google. They go on Google and they solve it. Yeah. They only call in when there's a problem, so everything's an exception. Yeah. And in, when everything's an exception, you can't uh, have decisions moving up. You have to have move decision authority down and gotcha. closer to the customer. Okay. So that's the big picture of what's going on mm -hmm. is that more and more and more decisions are being made at the frontline level, like right at the interface where customers are interacting with the company, whether it's over the web mm -hmm. or whether it's face-to-face uh, -face in a retail store, that more and more and more individuals have to have more freedom and autonomy and they have to be trusted and they have to be uh, able to do their work with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and manage themselves. Yeah. And what I was saying to you earlier, Jeff, yeah, before we went on the air was, yeah. you know, remember at one point typing used to be a job. And you, if, you had, if you had typing, something that needed to be typed, you would go to a typist and you would give it to the typist and they would type it up for you. But what's happened is uh, typing has now just been integrated. It's part of everybody's yeah, job. Right, it's not a specialist job anymore. Right. Even the CEO's typing. Everyone's typing. It's just part of the job. And that's what's going to happen to management. Management is now thought of as a job. Yeah. Um, there will be still uh, leaders and people who are um, you know, working at a leadership level to uh, uh, think through strategy and purpose mm -hmm. and mission and vision and all those kind of things. That's still going to be critically important, strategic focus. But at the same time, a lot of that uh, middle management is going to go away. It's just going to be part of everyone's job. Now, before you say this, I will say that does not mean that middle managers are going to be out of a job. Okay. Because what's going that's to happen? That's my next question. Yeah. It's like, how right. terrifying is that well, for half of them? You know. I think that's part of what is terrifying, and that's what's keeping a lot of organizations back, is that middle management looks at this future and says, well, where do I fit? Where do I fit in? Yeah. Right. And here's the, here's the message to the middle manager. Your job's going to change. So now your job as a middle manager, often in many organizations, is just moving information around. Yeah. You, uh, you get the reports from your people. They, you, you, you maybe make it look a pr little bit prettier than it really right. is, and you move that up the chain, and yeah. you, or you move it across. That stuff is going to be done by technology. That stuff is, you know, if you look at companies like Uber, uh, you know, even Facebook. Facebook is, uh, uh, Facebook is a content company, but yeah. no one at Facebook is creating content. The customers, we are yeah. creating the content. Yeah. Um, they are providing the platform by yeah. which we share. Yeah. Um, Uber, uh, there's no Uber is a is a company that provides the driving service from here to there, yeah. but they employ no drivers. Yeah. They are creating the platform that allows drivers to self and customers to self manage and self connect. So management is becoming absorbed into these platforms. Now, what does that mean for you if you are in middle management somewhere? Well, what it means is the companies that you work, the, large, the larger organizations are going to need to uh, create uh, startups. Mm -hmm. So the way that you move from a, from a divided company, a current company, to a connected company is you've got to do a lot of experiments. So a lot of people in management, middle management have dreamed, what if I could do a startup someday? Right. I have this idea for a startup. I think this would be a great, and I know our customer, I know our business, yeah. I could start a company and do this. Yeah. 
Well, which is often what happens: middle management jump your company, go start their own thing, and you are trying it to does? encourage that within the that's right confines of your own place. Well, so what happens is, right. you know, middle management often people will go out and start a company because, ironically, it's easier for them to do it outside the company <laughs> with no money right. than it is to do it inside a company with tons, tons of, of resources and resources. Yeah, and I, I heard a guy named that's Gary Hamill speaking just uh, in, when I was in Australia at one of these events, and he said, um, "It's." In the future, it's uh, today. It's resourcefulness. Ref, it's resourcefulness that matters, not resources. Right. And so, what happens is you, but the companies that are thinking ahead, that are being proactive, what they're doing that's exciting is they are saying, you know what, um, we're going to take the resources that we do have, mm-hmm. and we're going to invest in startups, a portfolio of startups, let's say, yeah. and say, uh, okay, so you're a middle manager. You always wanted to create a startup. But you didn't because you didn't want to take the personal risk. You didn't want to put your house. You got a family. Yeah, you got a family. You got a house. Yeah. Well, imagine now if you work for an enlightened company, Mm -hmm. which probably is a big leap of faith. Yep. But imagine that your company, you can convince your company to move in this direction. This is your opportunity to have a startup that has all the fun and excitement and opportunity of a startup, but backed by the resources of a large company. Yeah. Because what the most uh, advanced companies are doing in this in this change space are, uh, they are saying, okay, we're gonna take the, a group of people from within our company who mm-hmm. already know mm-hmm. how, the, how, the, how we serve the customer. So they might be divided by division right now. So you have someone in finance, someone in planning, mm-hmm. someone in, uh, who's customer facing, someone who's uh, more supplier facing. Yeah. Well, let's say we take all those people and we put them together in what I would call pod. Okay. Pod is basically a startup yeah. within a large organization. Yeah. Did you, is that your term, pods? That's my term, yeah. I like it. Pod, you know, could have been. It's podular. Well, they, they used to have a term called cellular manufacturing, where this was a way of organizing yeah. in a factory, but, uh, you know, I could have called it a cell, but who wants to go to work in a cell no, every exactly. day? No, <laughs> exactly. Unless like, you're a terrorist, but yeah, yeah. besides that. <laughs> uh, it sounds like prison Biologists, to me. prison. Yeah. <laughs> Prisoners, biologists, and terrorists. Here I'm going into my cell. Pods Goodbye, a lot, a lot better. Going to my cell. <laughs> So you have, the, you have a pod, yep. and what um, the idea behind the pod is, it's kind of like red team, blue team. When you're mm-hmm. doing war games, you say, okay, well, we want to take your team, and you pretend that you're the enemy, and try, try and figure out a way to beat us. So the, the company is saying to the pod, try to take us out. Yeah, so what a company, if, uh, what an enlightened company would do is to say, okay. Create their own enemies. Create their own. Well, here's the way I look at it. Yeah. Um, here's what I say to organizations. Um, you want to ask yourself, if you were a five-person team yeah. in a, with none of the confines of the current organization and you were able to think broadly in terms of how to disrupt the business, the industry, the market, um, uh, and how would you do that with mm-hmm. five people? How would you reinvent the company with five people? Right. And um, the fact is that whether you do that or not, there are teams out there already doing that. Yeah, right. They're, they're doing it. They're blogging about it. Right now. Check the internet right they're, now. you got right. people doing this exact thing yep. that don't work for you. And we're talking <laughs> about, what we're talking about now is business model innovation. Yeah. And uh, another heard another guy speak recently uh, about something I thought was very wise. He said, we need to stop thinking in terms of industries and market segments and, uh, you know, uh, markets, mm-hmm. basically. This is not the way to think about it because Uber yeah. is not a taxi company. Yeah. It's not in the taxi industry, Yeah, you know. Airbnb is not part of the hotel business. Right. What it does, what those, what these new business models do, is they focus on a job that customers 
need doing, that yeah. customers need to do, and how to best support that using the existing technology. So let's say, for example, so very um, solutions focused or very job, yeah, customer jobs in the world focused. Uh, uh, the way that a customer yeah. looks at a job. So, what is a what is what is a do we need banks? Yeah, right. What's the job that my bank does for me? Uh, it's a place to store money and a place that I can pull money out when I need it at the moment that I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, PayPal could do that for me. Yeah. PayPal's not a bank, I don't think, technically. Right. Uh, even Amazon could do that for me. Right. Right? Yeah. What do I need, what do I need a bank for? Mm-hmm. Um, do I need a hotel? Well, if I can go to Airbnb, right. what is Airbnb offering me? Um, part of it is the adventure of meeting yeah. new people yeah. and, like, living in someone else's house yeah. for a while. And yeah. I don't know if you've done it, but I, I have. have. I have, too. It's cool. Yeah. It's, and uh, sometimes it's out of necessity because I couldn't get a hotel because yeah. all the convention centers were, were full. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it was just because I was going to Amsterdam and I was going to be there for a while and I'd rather rent a houseboat than a, uh, stay in a hotel and it's cheaper. Um, and uh, so the question is not, um, you know, what's happening in your market because the disruption is not going to come from inside your market. It's going to come from a totally new perspective that you maybe haven't thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact of, you know, the way that you tend to think in your industry is part of the, uh, part of what blocks you. So the, um, the idea behind these pods, and mm-hmm. some of them might be internal people that you're ca- carving out and giving them mm-hmm. a space to try a new thing. Mm-hmm. Some of them might be actually little companies that you buy. Yeah. But um, when you're moving your way towards this uncertain uh, future, you don't actually know what the next business model is going to be. Right. Uh, you can't worry too much about protecting your existing business. Okay. Because there already are a bunch of people out there disrupting you. Right. You want to keep your radar out to catch them early yeah. enough that you might be able to buy them, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and also, uh, uh, also be doing your own experiments to disrupt yourself mm-hmm. uh, so that perhaps you have an opportunity to get there first. If the, the danger in protecting your core business is the danger of going the way of a company like Kodak or Nokia. You know, you're, you're, Nokia had 40% market share just eight years ago. 40%, wow. I mean, probably, probably 40% of the people listening to this podcast had a Nokia yeah. phone yeah. five years ago. Yeah. I did. I worked I on I their, I used to work on their business. And it was a massive client. Yeah. Global. It's right. Amazing. And uh, I remember, uh, what, seven yeah. Uh, eight years ago, I had a Nokia phone. Yeah, I did too. Uh, I was carrying around. Right, there cool. you go. Awesome. So um, that's the challenge. You have forty percent of a market. You get arrogant, yeah. and uh, you know you are not working to disrupt yourself. Right. I was working f- as a consultant for Nokia uh, eight years ago, yeah. and um, there was there they had a huge challenge there in changing their culture. You know, Nokia. It was a culture. Arrogance. It was a well, no, there was a, it was very consensus driven. It was a great culture, great culture for a manufacturing company. Okay, but they and they did realize that they were now in competition with Google and Apple. Okay, they realized that. So they got it. They got it. Uh, but what they didn't get was uh, well, there's a lot of things that they didn't get. But what they one of the things that they really didn't get was the how difficult it would be to transform their culture. Gotcha. And that brings us to some of what I'm what doing, you doing now. What you doing now? Yeah. I like that. Well, You're good at this, Dave. Um, that brings <laughs> us to what I'm, I'm doing now, which yeah. is one of the things that I've – there's two things that I'm primarily focused on right now. One is something I'm calling uh, culture mapping yep. or culture design, yep. culture design work, yep. which is about um, identifying what are the challenges in the existing culture and what is the culture that we want and that we need to have uh-huh. for this to create this new world and how do we get from here to there. Mm-hmm. 
The second one is a, a something I'm, that's called liminal thinking, which is a, really about management and leadership mindsets yeah. and how that was what I talked about at that COCA event that yeah. where you first saw me, yeah. which is about the the shift that needs to happen in leaders and uh, just in the mindset and the thinking, which is a lot to do with things like moving from, uh, let's say, from a, a decision mindset to a design mindset or decision attitude to a design attitude. What does it require you to do uh, in your own brain okay. to li- yeah. literally rewire your brain in yeah. order to think in a different way? And that's what the liminal thinking so th- th- is about. That is a program for people who run things, leaders. Well, liminal thinking is really yeah. for anyone. Yeah. But uh, I think it's most important for leaders because yeah. one of the things that uh, that is necessary in a change, a uh, major change, mm-hmm. especially a cultural change, is that as a leader, you have to change. Yeah. And because people are, are following you. People are looking at you. You're the weather vane of how other people decide to behave. Mm-hmm. If you, one of the challenges is t- coming up with the, you understand how the organization needs to behave, but you're unable to make that shift yourself. Okay. And people can see that, and yeah. that makes it hard for the organization to change. Yeah. So um, becoming a, being able to be the team that leads a company from a divided or divisional to a connected company mm-hmm. means you have to change. It means you have to become more vulnerable. It means you have to be able to make mistakes in front of your troops, which yeah. is something that might be very really difficult. Hard to do, yeah. Really hard. Really, really hard to do. Uh, in fact, it's it's rare that the team that got uh, that built a company that is successful in a divisional mindset to be able to make the leap to wow. the connected mindset, and right. that's why the the liminal thinking piece is so important because it really is absolutely necessary for managers and leaders to really literally rewire their brains to think in a different way. Can you give way. us just a little explanation of what is it exactly that is? What's the, liminal thinking? Yeah, just what's the yeah. what is the little basis of it? Or what's the well, um, without sounding too space age or yeah. new agey, I, I think I, what I would say is that um, we operate always within all of us within a kind of a bubble of belief. We have a way that we've learned to be in the world, a way that we've kind of learned that the world works, and what are the successful, most successful ways for us to operate in that world. So, in these beliefs, we. Uh, easily confuse them with reality mm-hmm. and the, the perfect example is uh you know and if you're on facebook or you know even on the news stations something happens some event happens let's say like you know the events of ferguson the last couple of years yep. a year or so um and then there's sometimes there's debate about what happened but even if there's no debate about the actual event mm-hmm. There is a war that unfolds about the interpretation of the event. And the reason that, sometimes I call this the battle for the obvious. And the reason there is a battle for the obvious is because there are literally people with different obviouses because they've had different experiences. And that's that's what I describe as your bubble. You have one set of obvious that is based on, you know, you grew up in a certain place in a certain way. You had a certain set of experiences and you've learned to, to... work and operate in the world based on those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Someone else has a whole different set of experiences, a whole different set of beliefs, a whole different set of obviouses because they've lived literally in a different uh, world. Yeah. And these two versions of the world collide yeah. and they collapse into debate and yeah. really angry kind of war battles for the obvious. Yeah. Now, that's happening. <laughs> happens a lot. Uh, it happens a lot. It happens over 
very much over political issues. It yeah. uh, happens over race, over gender uh, issues. It happens uh, over gun control, mm-hmm. uh, uh, birth control. Uh, but it also happens in the world between the traditional mm-hmm. corporate, uh, you know, the old school mm-hmm. divisional company and the new school connected company. Yeah. And you'll see people saying it happens between Apple and Microsoft. Mm-hmm. You know, just, uh, you know, I just had a battle for the obvious on my own Facebook uh, stream about, you know, Apple uh, copying <laughs> the Microsoft Surface. You know, so, so the, yeah. the, Apple's coming out with a very new version called the iPad Pro. And what's innovative about it is it's an iPad uh-huh. with a stylus and a cover that has a, a keyboard in it. Oh, my goodness. Which is Pretty, Which is Microsoft Surface. That's pretty much Microsoft wow. Surface. So there's a, there's the battle for the obvious is between the the uh, let's say the Apple fans who are all about Apple, you know Apple's innovative. All Apple's mm-hmm. always doing something new. And and the let's say people for who are who are in a, in a different bubble or outside the bubble saying, well, you know, this doesn't look new to me. Right. Uh, and uh, you know, the, there's a the the interesting thing is that. Uh, for a leader to move to from a divisional organizational mindset to a connected company mindset is means really comp- uh, first unlearning a lot of yeah. just habits yeah like and it's it's just as hard as quitting smoking or any <laughs> other habit right. this is a lot it uh, takes work it takes work it's yeah. like instilling a new good habit like yeah. let's say going for a jog every day which yeah. I should do but I don't <laughs> those are really hard building new habits is one of the hardest things you could do that's one of the reasons why uh, Dr. Stephen Covey's book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People has mm-hmm. been a bestseller for yeah, how long 30 years yeah. 40 years anyway it's, it's been a bestseller for a long time it's still on the top of the list because habits of effectiveness are hugely hugely important and that's what liminal thinking is about. It's about how do you actually recognize the habits that you have? Mm-hmm. How do you work at starting to unlearn some of those habits? Yeah. And how do you start to learn the new habits that it takes? Uh, and to, to boil it up to the most powerful and single piece, liminal thinking is about learning to listen. Okay. And the leaders, a connected company leader, has to be really, really good at listening, even to stuff that they don't believe even the stuff that seems that goes strange against goes against know. everything you know. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, so uh, a guy, I have a friend named Mick Calder in Australia. Mm-hmm. He lives in Melbourne, and he is a turnaround guy. Okay, so he gets you get to meet him when your company is going the Nike Kodak route, yeah. and you're basically out of options. Yeah, and his company called the Three 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 Group. You get two options. Option one. Uh, they'll take you to bankruptcy court. Okay, they'll take help you out do a, that. They'll help you go under. Yeah, help you go under. <laughs> uh, down the second right. option is if they see value in your company, they will take it over and run it, and they will own it. Okay. And may, they might pull, take you out of debt. They might pay you enough for it that gets you to zero out okay. of debt. Okay. And then, but then they will take over the company yeah. and run it, and you're out. Yeah. And you know, the the thing that I was really interested in, I was curious because I was working on my, I'm working on mindsets and the thinking, mm-hmm. and I asked Mick, well. You know, if you can turn it around, mm-hmm. why couldn't they turn it around? So what, what do you see yeah. when you come into what a company fresh yeah. that they couldn't see having all those years of experience, yeah. having worked in that company for, sometimes they inherited it from their parents yeah. and like working in there for their whole life. What is it that you can see that they don't see? He said, well, two things. One is, number one, it's very rare for the leadership team that co- the company into trouble to yeah. be the one to get it out of trouble. Right. 
they're trapped in a yeah. mindset and a way of thinking yeah. uh, that's obsolete. It yeah. may have been true at one time, yeah. but they're living in the past. You got to bring a lot of pride to that. You just have a lot invested in where you're at, right? Yeah. Tough to. That's right. And it's belief, yep. mindset. Yep. Um, and the second thing is that when I go in, I ask the employees what needs to happen, and they always know. <laughs> and so it's like, that. wow, that's really interesting because what you do is you go and you listen to the employees and the customers. Yeah. He said, yeah, that's what I do. That's what we, he's, and he's done this many times, turned mm-hmm. around companies. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I say the most powerful skill is listening. Mm-hmm. If you're a manager or a leader in a company that is having trouble, the most important thing you could do is listen right. to your employees and your customers. What we do a lot of is listening to shareholders. Mm-hmm. Well, shareholders don't know. They want to see results, but yeah. they don't know how to get results. Yeah. They don't know. Right. Customers know what they want. Customers know what the job is that they want to get done mm-hmm. that you're no longer doing for them or they used to do but you're not doing anymore right. that they can go and get done by an app or whatever. Yep. Employees know, but especially the ones that are close to customers because they're feeling the pain. They're mm-hmm. feeling the frustration of customers and that anger. So between employees and customers, they do know the, the, the power is being able to listen because a lot of that stuff, uh, Gary Hamill also talks about Detroit mm-hmm. and the Japanese car industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in the 1960s, they started getting these numbers. And the power of, of leadership to deny reality is very power, very strong. So that's the power of the bubble. Yeah. So the first numbers start coming in. They say, uh, these numbers are fictional. They can't be real. Yeah. Can't possibly get that level of quality and sell a car at that cost. Yeah. Then five years go by. And they the numbers keep yeah. growing. Coming. They keep seeing it. Yeah. Uh, then they say, okay, well, let's go to visit Japan. we got to figure out what's going on. They go visit Japan. They visit the factories. They, then they say, you know what, um, it's possible, but it only works in Japan. It could never work in America. We have unions. We have these structures. There's no way that could work in America. Right. Then the Japanese car companies start building plants in America, start making cars in America, start hiring American workers. They're getting to still the same level of results from the time when they were first getting those signals to when Detroit finally actually started cha- changing yeah. and really changing their, their, the, way the way they did things, yeah. 25 years. Wow. 25 years. <laughs> That's how long. And by that time, you know, and if, if you visit Detroit today, you will yeah. see the results of that, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a wasteland. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, actually lots of new seeds of new yeah. growth are emerging, but uh, that was a company town. That was Motor City. Yeah. And uh, that, uh, that denial of senior leadership to recognize what's going on cost Detroit big time. Yeah. And that's what is happening. Not started, you know, that, that happened in the car industry. The car industry is just about to have another major disruption with self-driving, yeah. autonomous vehicles. Um, the car, what's going to happen with, with cars? Just and the way people drive and, and urbanization and, yeah. I mean, well, the car, imagine, right? so what happened to the, to the, yeah. to the dumb phone to the smartphone, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was what the transition that Nokia just weathered. It's that Apple and Google are now the phone companies, yeah. right? Or they were they are the at least the device. The, they are making the phones device that people choice. are buying. Um, that's going to be the car. I mean, Apple and Google are going to be the car companies of the future, not uh, not Ford, to, and, Chevy. Ford and, and Chevy and Toyota. Do you think and Toyota and the Japanese get that? Um, I don't know. Farther along, I know we'll see. I don't know, but I think that the the bubble is. I, I've learned not to estimate, underestimate the power of the bubble. Yeah. The power, the bubble is extremely powerful, and 
you know, the bubble the, is this this insulated mindset. It's a self-sealing logic, yeah. a bubble of belief that forms yeah. around habits and mindsets that, that cause it to be create huge blind spots about genuinely new yeah. opportunities and things going on. Yeah. You have uh, you know now car companies are looking at it as a car company thing. They're looking at the automotive market. They're not looking at the job that cars do for customers. Right. Uber is looking at the job. future of cars. Zipcar yeah. is looking at, what is what, do I need a car? Yeah. If I'm in a city, do I actually need to own a car? Yeah. Or do I just need a, I mean, some one day I need to pick up, the next day I need a sedan, next day I want a, uh, a, a convertible. Zipcar makes that, companies like Zipcar are making that possible. Yeah. Um, in the future, it might even be that there's a self-driving car and I don't actually need to own a car. I don't. I can have, there's all kinds of ways yeah. to deliver what a car delivers for people. And I th the, uh, what, if it's, what if a car is not actually a car, but it's a, it's a mobile swimming pool. Mm -hmm. I can get my laps done while I'm going to work or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what those things are gonna be, but they're not gonna be car companies that are providing. I doubt very much that any of the car companies with the possible exception of Tesla is really thinking about the automotive Future. Uh, the, the future of transportation yeah. and the way that they need to be thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, and the, it's funny because they probably have people somewhere in their company that do, but whether they're listening to them, you know? Yep. Whether it's actually making a difference within the day-to-day -day operations yep. of their company, who knows? Because Nokia, I remember speaking with a guy at Nokia yeah. uh, and, and asking him, aren't you afraid of the iPhone? Yeah. Doesn't that make you shake? Yeah. And he said, no, you know what? In fact, we like the iPhone. The, what's going to happen is the iPhone is going to increase the market for smartphones and ours is better. Now, what he is missing, and I, in fairness, I was also missing at the time, was it's not a phone market. Right. It's not, it's a, not a smartphone. It's a it's an Amazon store. Yeah. It's an Apple yeah. music and yeah. movie store that you carry around in your pocket. Yeah. It's a store. It's a, computer. it's a totally different thing. <coughs> it's not even a computer. It's a store. Yeah. It's it's a retail store yeah. that you walk around with in your pocket. With basically, it's able to advertise yeah. to you twenty four seven. You're spending money on it yeah. all the time, yeah. and it's basically a, a store. Yeah, and that makes some phone calls every now and then. Right, and you occasionally will make a phone call with. It's not a smartphone, and that's the thing. That's the danger of defining your 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 company yeah. and your organization by market and industry. Yeah. that stuff's falling away. It's just the job that you do for customer. Um, Clayton Christensen talks a lot about this a lot, and one of my favorite uh, quotes from him is, think about this company. You probably know what, the, I'll, I'll describe the job that they do, and you probably can tell me what company it is. Um, they get things from here, physical objects, physical goods, from here to there, as quickly as possible with perfect certainty. Yeah, FedEx. Right. Yeah. Okay? Perfect. And his point is, that's a job. Yeah. Julius Caesar could have used that service. Right. That's not going to become obsolete. The right. job does not become obsolete yeah, over time. People will always need this. Right. There was no yeah. FedEx industry when Julius Caesar was alive, right. but he could have used that could service. Have used it. Could and there probably it. was, that job was getting done somehow. Yeah. By, not you know, the Pony Express, but Right, something that. like it. Probably the Chariot something, Express. Something like the Pony Express. Get yeah. the Chariot guy. So that's the power of thinking in terms of customer jobs okay. instead of in terms of industries and markets. Yeah. Industries and markets change over time. The jobs, the jobs never do. Relatively really stay do. relatively similar, yeah. So these two things you're doing between the culture mapping and trying to teach companies or let them see where they're at, where they want to go, and this leadership development, it's all kind of in the same vein, it seems like. Yep. I mean, it's all about helping uh, many of 
uh, these companies that are that are in living still somewhat in the old world, really anxious and interested to move to the old world, to the new world. Mm -hmm. uh, many of these people are my friends, have been my clients for years, yeah. uh, really helping them go from uh, here's where we are, here's where we want to be, and actually uh, looking at the problem in a very holistic way, uh, not just uh, we're going to make some nice PowerPoints and we're going to make some viral videos and we're going to just push out this yeah information to people yeah. but really how do we transform the organization that means transforming the leaders mm -hmm. helping them uh, recreate rewire their mm -hmm. own minds mm -hmm. um, helping uh, employees become more engaged and more empowered and helping them understand well now we got to run startups what does that mean and really helping these organizations completely transform themselves over a period of years from a divided company mm -hmm. to a, a connected company in the connected world we, I'm gonna this is perfect. I'm going to wrap this up because it's at a good length. But I'd love to come back next week and get the story of how you got here. Yeah. Just your journey. Well, Is sure. that cool? Yeah, absolutely. And just as just if you're out there, uh, I saw this COCA presentation that you did. We actually took us through the liminal thinking presentation. It was fantastic. So th this is something anyone can can call you and hire you to come and do. That's right. This is what yeah. you do. So do you want – well, I'll leave your – on the notes, I'll give your – email and your Great. bio page and sure yeah you've got a page that just says hello i'm dave grain it tells you all the things you're that's working right. on that's an easy yeah. thing what's the url for that Is it uh explainer.com x-p-l-a-n-e-r.com yeah. and that's because my organization explain.com which i'm yeah. very proud of and still a part of yeah uh, which we didn't even get to talk about what it's yeah. one of the seminal awesome agencies <laughs> in st louis yeah. history now it's well, in portland you. yeah yeah xplane.com is about really focusing on this organizational transformation stuff, which is super exciting and yeah. really fun to be a part of. Awesome. Dave, I can't thank you enough. You've been so generous with your time. One last thing. It seems since we've met you, you, you are an open source guy. And I, I've mm -hmm. always appreciated that. And I run towards that because I think it's so important. And I don't see a lot of that in the, it's, there's a lot of people that aren't, that are mm -hmm. very cards yeah. and then you can't tell anyone anything. And I, I always wonder if there's, do you find, like, when, as St. Louis, and I'll just, because we are based here, every city wants to become Silicon Valley, right? And to me, and I just would imagine Silicon Valley is more open sourced mm -hmm. than other cities and as just a way of being, companies and all of yeah. that stuff. Do you ever feel like I'm giving away the goods? Because everyone does. Or what's the theory behind yeah, that? Yeah, I'd love to share my philosophy on that because yeah. I think it is important. And, uh, it's something that uh, sometimes I'm still learning and sometimes even the people in my company are still learning. Yeah. Uh, here are some basic things. Uh, we live in a world, you can't protect information. Yeah. Uh, we live in a world where if you try to protect information, what you do is you isolate yourself from learning anything new. You're protecting your own information, which is getting obsolete by the day. Right. Um, the best way for you to maintain some kind of competitive advantage is to be continuously improving and learning. Mm -hmm. And the only way that you continuously can continuously improve and learn is by increasing your information exchange with other people who are open and more collaborative, let's yeah. say more open source. I am yeah. um, able to learn from you, Jeff, because yeah. you are willing to you know, work with a person, an organization, yeah. that um, you, know, you bring me in to uh, share client experiences and so forth. I'm able to learn yeah. because I'm able to uh, share. I mean, by by sh by uh, by sharing, by being the first person to share, you create the invitation for other people to share. Yeah. You also demonstrate 
that awesome. you have the confidence that you can continually learn and grow, mm -hmm. that you're not uh, just, and this is what companies need to do also, you're not just selling what you sold before, mm -hmm. you're always moving towards that next thing. And, yeah. and it's, I think it's, a, you know, um, we focus so much on what we have to lose by partnering mm -hmm. and sharing. We miss what we have to gain mm -hmm. by partnering and sharing. Yeah. Uh, by partnering and sharing, we learn, and we're always staying ahead. What happens in Silicon Valley is that the information exchange across companies is so great that, um, you know, and people there, of course they have NDAs and they try to protect information, but the bottom line is in Silicon Valley, you can't protect information. Right. That the stuff, the information is out there. So the companies that are evolving fast and are learning fast are the ones that have the advantage, not the ones who are able to build walls and protect information. Now, I'll make a prediction here. Okay. Um, you have a company like Apple, very secretive. Uh, very successful, yeah. right? Super successful company. Yeah. Um, what has made them successful in the past? I don't think it's going to make them successful in the future. Interesting. That you know, Apple. What we're even seeing now in the recent uh, developments with Apple, um, Apple is now following Microsoft. Apple is now, um, you know, they they used to make fun of a stylus. They used to make fun of the big phones. Yeah. That now they're making big phones. Now they're making styles. Yeah. Apple is a design company. They still make things better than other people, but they're not leading yeah. anymore. Yeah, they're not leading. The they're idea. following. Yeah. Uh, Google's got the self-driving cars. Now yeah. Apple may get there with a yeah. better self-driving car, mm -hmm. but Google's got the self-driving cars. Right. Amazon has actually had Echo and has had smart TVs that are that are actually communicating with yeah. people. Apple but is Echo's getting there. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, Amazon is yeah. leading. Yeah. Uh, oh, the open companies are leading. Amazon, Google, those are more open companies. They're leading. Apple more and more is following. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a space for a fast follower, but um, the secretive, the more secretive you are, mm -hmm. the more likely you are to have to be a follower. Yeah. The more open you are, the more opportunities you have to stay ahead because yeah. you're learning faster. Yeah. That's, I think that's a huge, I, I love it. I think just in the, I'm in, Grown up in the creative business, and so that to me has always been the pleasure of creating. Is you go around the world and work with creative teams to do things, and it's such an open source world yeah. anyway. Just in this game, but I think companies with all these things that they believe are secrets, they're just no longer secrets. Right. They're just no longer that valuable. It's, it's and the fact is, yeah. the, 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 their greatest asset is you. Yeah. And where do you want to work? Yeah. Do you want to work in a place where you can't tell people about all the cool stuff yeah. you're doing because it's so secret, or do you want to work in a place that's Excited to share that stuff yeah. and get that stuff out there yeah. and be first and yeah. and uh, are you working at a company where your creativity? I mean, certainly, if you work at Apple, everyone is going to say you're probably creative. You're doing wonderful stuff, and yeah. I'm sure it's secret. Yeah. And there's there's probably some uh, boost that you get out of that. But um, for me, as a creative person, I, I get a high off of sharing and learning. So I'm, and I'm learning always more. Uh, by interacting with people outside my company than by interacting with people inside my company. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much again. Appreciate it. We, we will have you on and go through your history, but uh, yeah, good luck so far. And, we'll, yeah. and I'm excited to be working with you, Dave. Me too. Okay, Thanks. cool. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff.